0: Some of you are Baptists, some of you are on your journey. The reason I say that is I am not here to talk about religion. <laughs> Thank you, Mother. <laughs> but I'm not I mean but I am here, I am here, and it will touch you, I'm sure, will touch on spirituality. Somebody in this program has said that spirituality and religion is not the same. Religion is man-made, spirituality is God-given. Religion has divided people for too long, spirituality teaches the world to hold hands. Believe you me, if the program, if the program of the Twelve Steps was practiced by all the countries and all the peoples of this world, it would be a more peaceful and a more benevolent country. Don't you agree? What a blessed world it would be. Somebody said to me, somebody said to me, they said, they said, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Are you nervous when you come and talk to a group of people here? You're nervous. I said, I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. And they said, I said, no. Because nobody here, nobody here has ever hurt me. Nobody here made my mother cry. Nobody here made my father bleed. Why I fear you. There is one person in this room that I fear. His name? His name is Leo. I don't know about you, but I've been the single biggest problem in my life. And by the way, if I've been the single biggest if I've been the single biggest problem in my life then I can be the single biggest solution in my life. I say that to you because we've just heard, beautifully read, the twelve steps. And it's the twelve, it's always steps. I always say to people, it's just the twelve steps. Nobody ever says, Frank, will you come out and read the twelve standstills? Nobody ever says that. Nobody, not in this, part. nobody says it. Because we're not about standing still. We're about moving forward. Lovely story. A lovely story about an Alamon who had seven years. How many years did she have? How many? She married badly. And on the wedding night they went to the bedroom. And the husband, he took off his trousers and he threw his trousers in the middle of the bedroom. He says, Wife, get into those trousers. She said, I can't get into those trousers. He says, No. And don't forget, who wears the trousers in this marriage? He's old fashioned. But she had how many years in Al Anon? How many? She did no more. She took off her panties. And she threw her panties in the middle of the bedroom. She says, husband, get into those panties. He says, I can't get into those panties. She says, no, and you won't until you change your attitude. Now, some of you may be thinking, Oh, hey, yep. Some of you may be thinking, what's what's panties gotta do with spirituality? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> no, ever no, I'm serious. Because I'll tell you today, today, you think about what I'm saying now. Today some of us are saying yes, when for years we said no, and we're saying yes to ourselves. And maybe some of us today are saying no, no, to people who for years we said yes to. Some of you heard me say this before, but I'll say it again, we had a famous, famous Prime Minister called Winston Churchill, oh yes, Winston Churchill, famous. He used to like to drink. He used to drink a bottle of brandy a day. That was just the brandy. (laughs) One day he was sitting at dinner with Lady Astor. And Lady Astor turned to Winston Churchill and said, Winnie, Winnie, you're drunk. And Winston Churchill in his inimitable way said, Madam, you are ugly. (laughs) But I shall wake up sober in the morning. She she was quick to say to him, she says, Winnie, Winnie, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your soup. Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. Now, some of you, some of you may be saying, what's, What's all that about? It's the disease. The disease of alcoholism is cunning, baffling, powerful. It's also patient. It's a disease that makes... Very often the alcoholic will make other members of the family feel that they're crazy. The other members, especially the Alanons, they go to the doctors long before we do. Don't you understand... You're the reason why I drink. You're the reason I throw up. And they believe it. They look in the mirror and they say, What am I doing wrong? The story of a guy who said to him, Father Martin, he said, I used to be a drunken thief, now I'm a sober thief. (laughs) Father Martin says, No, you cannot be a thief in this program. You practice the principles in all our affairs. So I say right at the top this program you cannot stay in this program and live this program and be a racist or a sexist. cannot be in this program and put down other people because they are different from you. It's not about stealing. It's about being the best. The best you can be. But there is something promised to us, and that is the spiritual awakening. And by the way, the spiritual awakening isn't so much that you love God. I know a lot of drunks who love God. I know a lot of people who go to church every Sunday, they're still drunk. They read their Bibles, but they're still drunk. It's not about loving God. It's about beginning to love yourself. Once you start to love yourself, once you start to respect yourself, believe you me, you're going to make some great movements in this world. Joseph Campbell on the PBS series talked about the power of myth. Basically what he said is there's really one essential myth. And that is how human beings cope with the challenges of life and how they overcome them. How they face that witch on the road. How they face their giants. And every human being, at some level, is facing similar things. And so, although you think this is my story, believe you me, look to see what you have in common, especially around the feelings. Twenty odd years ago, nobody ever referred to this as 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 a drug. Everybody drank. Bishops drank. Prime ministers drank. It was part of. To, to, to have arrived. I liked how I felt when I drank. And I thought, I thought, thought I, <laughs> that I have got a friend for the rest of my life. When I felt insecure, I thought the drinking would help me, make me feel secure, make me feel comfortable. I had found, here we go, a friend. I remember one a funeral, drunk. I followed the coffin into the hole. Just, just went, followed it straight in the hole. Right. Dropped about 12 feet. But it was an Irish funeral. Nobody noticed. And somebody said, Where's the priest? I tell you, it's a hell of a thing when you hear the amens coming from above. But they got me out. They just pulled me out. I was full of dirt. We carried on. I'm serious. We just carried on. Get the, somebody said, get the priest out of the hole. Get a stick. We can get him out. He just carried on. You want to know a funny thing in Victorville? On a Saturday night? Nobody talks about that unless I tell them. Do you know that? Nobody never talks about it thought about this, hard and long. You want to know why we're here? Because it got out. (laughs) People started to talk. As long as as we we, we have these stories, and you all have the stories. I've just shared with you, the only people who would ever talk or know about that was me, because I fell in the hole, and the family. And the family. (laughs) Nobody, nobody, nobody said a thing. You think about this now. I don't think I'm serious about this. The guilt, the shame, the loneliness. Some people live their whole lives and they isolate, separate, create a wall. You can't do an intervention if you don't know.
1: A few years later, I'm home on one of my first college breaks and I go to the health club to hang out at the pool. I did, in fact, wear a bathing suit at the pool. I decide to change into my clothes so I can sit and read. I go into the generic changing stalls in the pool area. Midway through the process, I realize that someone in the adjacent stall is peeking under the stall with a dentist's mirror. I step on it. (laughs) I quickly wrap a towel around myself and peek out the door expecting to see a 10-year-old. Instead, I see a man, likely in his 50s. I dress and report this to the young male lifeguard who looks like a deer in the headlights. Clearly, this was not part of his lifeguard training. The man is no longer in the area, and I sit to read my book. A while later, he reenters the pool and sits down. I see a classmate from high school come in and go into one of the changing stalls. The man goes into the adjacent stall. He has nothing to change into. He is just wearing a bathing suit and carrying a rolled-up towel, which conceals the mirror. I can see him kneel down from across the pool. I go to the lifeguard who is now standing with his supervisor. I point and say he's doing it again. This time they have no choice but to take me seriously. By the time I get home my mom has had a call from the club. The man is a retired state trooper who has been relieved of duty for offering not to write tickets in exchange for sexual favors. Out of respect for the man's wife, and I assume the club's reputation, we are asked not to make it public. He is, however, relieved of his club membership. I did and do have some reservations about this outcome. Three events, all between the ages of 10 and 18 in my nice little New Hampshire town. I was not physically hurt or even touched, but they were all from older men out of the blue and all were immune from that insulting charge that I was asking for it. All were reported and had consequences for the men. I and the others involved were believed, and none of this should have happened. My experiences are not unique. Many have been surprised to learn this week just how many of women have been sexually assaulted or harassed as they have shared their Me Toos. It is in this way we begin to get a sense of the magnitude of the problem. And so I pause here and ask, if there are other women or women-identified individuals who also wish to say, me too. If you are comfortable doing so and only then, I invite you to stand or raise your hand. Thank you for your courage.
0: You can't do an intervention if you don't know. The guilt, the shame, the loneliness. Some people live their whole lives and they isolate, separate, create a wall and they die. Now you and I, I don't know your story, but I know your story. There's a kind of a story that I sometimes share. A story about a man who dies and he's at the gates of heaven. He's knocking at the gates of heaven. And God says, Who is it? And the man says, "It's me." And God says, "Go away. Thanks. This is ridiculous. Here I am at the gates of heaven. I want to get in. He goes back. God says, "Who is that?" He says, "It's me. George. God says, Go away, George. He thinks, this it's ridiculous." Here I am at the gates of
1: heaven.
0: And then he remembers. He remembers what he heard in this program. And he goes back to the gates and he knocks at God says, who is it? And the man says, it's you. And God says, come in. Can you find something of God in your life? Can you find something of that miracle, that preciousness, that specialness in your life? Because if you can, believe you me, you'll shine. You'll be a walking program of attraction. You won't take yourself so seriously because you realize that in life we have times when we are tested. And we have times when we have to face difficulties. And that's when this program really comes into place. And you know something? I've been at theological college, some of the best universities in England, and I've never heard this expression, find a God as you understand God. That was the key to my liberation. Not a God of the Pope, not a God of an Archbishop, not a God of a priest, not a God of a body or of a group, but a God that makes sense to you. Perhaps free. Ask, and you will begin the key to this world of mine. And who's the key? You are. You always were. Thank you. For the last time. No